looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Matt. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week is no exception. We're off to a rock and rolling start for episode 60. That's right. You are here for episode 60 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Duoskin. Great to have you back for another amazing week. Hopefully you caught last week's episode with Joe Alves, part of our 46th anniversary of Jaws celebration. Joe dove deep into an oral history of Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, both movies that he made hand-in-hand with Steven Spielberg himself. If you need more Jaws, check out episode 26 of Live from Detroit, The Jeff Dewaskin Show, my interview with Carl Gottlieb, comedic legend, Legend, co-writer of The Jerk with Steve Martin, and also screenwriter of the movie Jaws. Dun, 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 dun. That's right. So where do we go from there? I'll tell you. We go all the way to Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan? That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We head all the way to Flint, Michigan, where I welcome legendary rocker and guitarist Mark Farner, former lead singer of Grand Funk Railroad. That's right. Grand Funk Railroad, ladies and gentlemen. The power trio that captivated us with I'm your captain, we're an American band, some kind of wonderful locomotion, and many other amazing hits. Mark's going to talk all about the Grand Funk days and talk about his current solo career that he takes to every corner of the world. One corner he happened to stop at, live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. That's right. You're going to love it. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. And you know what else just takes a few minutes? My producer's looking at me. Not that. Not that. The What I'm talking about that only takes a few minutes, I mean, that does too. But what I'm specifically talking about to all of you is to go to jeffisfunny.com, sign up for my mailing list. There's also links to all my social media properties. Sign up for the mailing list. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeff DeWashkin Show, on Facebook, at Jeff is Funny, on YouTube, search out the Jeff DeWashkin Show. Also, if you're in the mood, help me celebrate 60 amazing episodes. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Jeff DeWashkin Show. I'll shout out anyone who buys me a coffee while I'm sipping that brew. That's right. Thank you very much in advance. Also, one of the benefits of following me on YouTube is that you'll get notified when we go live every Wednesday for Crossing the Streams every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, called The Greatest Show in the History of Shows that is on Wednesday that talks about TV shows and movies that you should be streaming by TV show and streaming magazine. So, you know, if they said it, it's got to be true. All right, so your homework, mailing list, social media, YouTube. Sounds great. Don't forget also to subscribe and follow and like the podcast on your favorite podcast app, Podchaser, CastBox, Apple, Google. But then what's really important is that you tell all your friends about it as well. You got them to use the same shampoo as you. So now it's time for you to get them to listen to the same podcast you listen to. Say you, stop over rinsing and listen to Live from Detroit, the Jeff Waskin show. You won't regret it. One second up your life. Thank you. And now it's time for the social media tip. 
All right, this is the part of the show where I share a little bit of my social media knowledge with you. Drop a little something that I picked up on the street, I heard about, I want to share with you some insights, something changes week to week. This week, I think, is a real important one. All of you probably have, at one point, set up a good handful of social media platforms. Each one of them has an about section and has links to websites and other social media platforms from that platform. You know, Clubhouse links to Instagram, etc. Go do an audit of all your about sections and bios and links from every one of your platforms and make sure that, that you still have that Instagram site that you set up when you set up your Facebook 10 years ago. I found some old outdated stuff. I did a cleanup and I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to share this with the crew. This is a good one. All right. So go do that. Clean it up. It's a simple bit of homework, but you'll thank me for it later. And that's the social media tip. All right. I do want to thank everyone who supports the sponsors week after week. I can't thank you enough. They write to me. They text me. Sometimes at three in the morning, it wakes me up. But whatever. It, it, that's regardless of the fact that you guys are there for them. You support them week after week. When you support them, you're supporting us. And that's how we keep the lights on. Can't thank you enough. Our sponsor today Rock and Roll Soulmates, the only dating app solely based on your musical preferences. Have you picked a bad time to fall in love? Are you in love with a girl's AVI that you can't live without? Well, don't despair because we have a solution for you. Rock and Roll Soulmates, the ultimate dating app for people whose only interest is music. Don't worry, because you don't need a whole lots of money. You don't need a big, fine car. Are you ready for everything a man or woman could want? More than you can ask for? Let me ask you, has this ever happened to you? Everything seemed great at first, and then in the middle of our first date, he tells me all he listens to is Barry Manilow. I'm like, Barry Manilow? I got out of there as fast as I could. Well, with the Rock and Roll Soulmates dating app, it will never happen again. That's right. So what are you waiting for? Come on. Jump up. Jump back. Well, now I think you got the knack. Get the Rock and Roll Soulmates app today. The only dating app that music lovers will ever need. All right. Well, that sounds amazing. I mean, so many times the people we meet in our lives, uh, their music doesn't match up. Well, this is the perfect solution. I'm so excited to go check out this app available on Apple or Google, Rock and Roll Soulmates, the ultimate dating app for music lovers. All right. Well, that seems like an amazing segue into my interview with Mark Farner, rock and roll legend. Ladies and gentlemen, here you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest, legendary guitarist and vocalist, one of the founding members of Grand Funk Railroad. Ladies and gentlemen, our captain, Mark Farner. Welcome to the show. Hey, brother Jeff. Man, good to be here with you, dude. Good to have you here from Flint, Michigan. Yeah, man. Flint's most famous export. Exported commodity. (laughs) (laughs) We love Flint because that's where we learned our music. That's where we cut our chops. We listened to CKLW, you know, Rosalie playing that stuff early on in our lives and and listening to uh, John R's uh, Royal Crown 
hairdressing show way down south in Dixie, talking skip on AM after 11 o'clock at night, sit up and watch that all formed our Michigan music and our guitar playing. And the rest is history of what came out of this state. What is it with Michigan? Something in the air or something? I mean, there's so many amazing musicians that have come out of Michigan. Well, I think that a lot of the factory workers that moved up here from the South, such as my mother moved here from Leechville, Arkansas to Michigan when she was 16 years old, but her whole family came to get jobs in the auto factories. That's when uh, people were driving, you know, two cars had boats in the driveway. I mean, the nice houses and the things were going good for the auto workers. And then uh, when they pulled out, they started leaving people jobless it sure changed the scene but the families are still here jeff sure sure once you establish the roots this this is your home when you guys were coming up in the 70s who were you hanging out with in michigan seager mitch Ryder, alice cooper picture you guys all going to a bar together (laughs) (laughs) that's great because it really wasn't like that i mean we didn't get to see much of anybody except on stage when we were doing a battle of the bands or something early on the formative years and then when grand funk formed i mean gosh we were headlining and we didn't get to see too many people you know except when we would do a pop festival and there's be multiple multiple headliners and then then you get to you know rub shoulders and do the shake and howdy with a lot of famous folk what's the origin story like you know how did you come to form grand funk with don and mel what bands were you in and how did you well actually let me ask you a question first i have a question first before the music were you on a path to be something else like was there a different job that you were headed towards before the music i was playing football in school i went to football from playing sousaphones from playing a tuba in the marching band we would march up and down that field. And this is back when they had horns made of brass <laughs> and they were heavy. And we would march up and down that field. And none of those girls were looking at us. They were looking all over at them tight ends and them guys in the uniform. So I caught on and I joined the football. <laughs> when I sustained some injuries, well, my mother... She knew that I loved to hear my name called out on the loudspeaker. And so she got me six guitar lessons and rented a guitar for me to practice with and to learn on. It was a flat top, an acoustic K guitar that would have better been used for a bow and arrow set. The strings were so far away from the neck. But I learned to play a few ditties on it. And the guitar player only gave me three lessons, the teacher, because he had hunting accident, shot himself in the foot with a 12 gauge. So called my mother and told her to have me go up and, and watch the guys that were in a the rock band in the high school. And so I went with my sister who's 17 months older than me. And she knew these people and would hang out. They'd big chords and I'd watch them play and and then I would try to do you know emulate that and that's kind of how I picked up and learned the guitar I had three actual lessons and uh, the rest of them were from friends what would have happened if the guy didn't shoot himself in the foot he might have finished those lessons he might have who knows what would have happened no kidding <laughs> strange twist to the story <laughs> guy doesn't shoot himself in the foot grand funk railroad never happens <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Mark's Mark's heads down south and starts singing country. <laughs> the whole what uh, if we get explored some other time. Oh my, yeah. The bands prior, I mean, you know, they were just uh, we doing cover tunes, doing Battle of the Bands, 
doing beetle tunes or doing the yard birds. We dug the yard birds when Jeff Beck was in there. That was our, that was one of our favorites. Did you always know you could sing? I mean, was it just, did you, were you in choir? Did you like, how did you know you had this amazing voice? Well, I knew I could sing. I was in the choir in school and I knew I could sing tenor because I sang in tune and I wasn't having any trouble. But when I switched and I put the guitar in the mix, then I started having some trouble because I would try to play the guitar and it's playing one rhythm and the lead vocal sings a different rhythm, sings kind of off to it. So I was having a hard time with that. My uncle Woody told me, he says, son, I'm going to show you how to fix that today. And I said, really? Because I told him I was having a hard time with it. He says, yeah, man, sit down across the table there and I'm going to put this newspaper out here. It's a Flint journal. He says, I want you to read it upside down and backwards. You know, you just push it across the table from you, just like this. Showed me how to set it up. He says, and just read the headings, the bold print. And he says, and just turn page after page and read that and read it a couple of times. So I'm going faster. Each page, I'm going faster, being able to read these words. I could tell them what they were upside down and backwards. And I was you know, getting quite good at it. I was at it for probably almost an hour. And then I went into, I said, well, I've, you know, I, I've done that a couple of times. Now I've read the whole thing. And he says, okay, good. I'm going to sit down there. I'm going to grab my guitar. So he goes and grabs his J45 Gibson. He says, now, what was that song? And so I said, well, one of them's Nadine. And so I started playing and started singing Nadine and I never skipped a beat and I haven't since, but I keep reading things upside down and backwards. I read things in the rear view mirror that's written on a truck behind me, keeping that right and left hemisphere of the brain working together is the key to getting yourself into where you can sing and play at the same time, even if they're at different rhythms with each other. That's fascinating. Never, never even thought about that, but I guess I've never been in the position to have to do it, but that's, <laughs> that's amazing that it, you know, it's, it's pretty cool how he taught you how to do that. Yeah, it works. Well, thank you, Mark. That's a pearl of wisdom. Number one. There we go. There you go. There we go. <laughs> what, what was the first band you were in? Mojo and the Nightwalkers. Not familiar with the earlier work of Mojo. And the- <laughs> <laughs> it was all cover tunes. <laughs> After uh, Mojo, where do we bridge the gap between that and and forming Grand Funk? Same band members just swap names and maybe one player. And then we'd say it was a new group. But we were the Geneseans at one time because we lived in Genesee County. We were robbing in the hoods once. We were the derelicts once. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's an art just to come up with a name for a band. Yeah, it? it is. It is. Then I joined Dick Wagner's Bossman. Just before Terry Knight in the Pack, I was playing with Dick Wagner for about a year. And of course, Dick Wagner's fame to because he was a guitar player for Alice Cooper, of course, and uh, Ursa Majors. And he was the head of the Bossman in Michigan. And he took me under his wing. I was playing support guitar, singing support harmony with him. It was good. It was a real good rendition, you know, some rock musicians in Michigan of the Bossman. But then one night we were setting up after a gig and I asked him, I said, Wagner, how do you come up with all these tunes, dude? I said, you just are tapped into something. And he says, you can write tunes, Mark. And I said, I can. 
He says, yeah, man, they are inside of you. He says, I know they're in there. He says, because that's where they come from in me. They're inside and they just come out. He says, you got songs in there. I said, no kidding. We're setting up in his apartment, but uh, we're playing our electric guitars with no amplifiers. We're just playing where at a low volume because his wife and kids were sleeping in the other rooms. And so he went to go to bed and I stayed up and I wrote Heartbreaker. That was the first song I ever wrote. And I wrote it that night at Dick Wagner's place in Saginaw. Well, thank you, Dick Wagner. Right? <laughs> yeah. Because that was yeah. the beginning of a many, many amazing songs. Yeah. So it's funny how like just somebody can just touch somebody with words and inspire them and make such a huge difference yeah. in their lives. Yeah, man. Turned on the switch. Think about that. It's the guy didn't shoot himself in the foot. Dick didn't tell you you could do it. Where would Mark Farner be? <laughs> yeah. Where would I be? Probably be uh, hiring in to uh, McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness you went the different route. You go from boss man. Now you're working with Terry Knight in the pack. Yep. Playing bass. Played bass with those guys. I'd never played bass before, but their bass player got drafted and they said, hey, man, can you play bass? I said, I played a tuba in the school band. I could probably play bass. I got a feel for it. And I did. I played bass probably for a year or so. And then we fired Terry Knight and it went on as the pack. And then from the pack, we evolved into Grand Funk after we lost keyboard player and guitar player to threats from their wives of divorcing them. <laughs> <laughs> we were tardy on a gig one time. We were about two weeks late coming in. <laughs> and this is before cell phones. And we were stranded on Cape Cod and uh, there was no way of getting any communications out. Then that's when we determined no more women influencing the band. Whoever we get cannot be married. They cannot even have a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> no lady policy. <laughs> <laughs> this would be the first time you fired Terry Knight. Why did you fire him this time? Well, because we figured we could sing better than he could. And the only thing he had going for him was a gift of gab he could talk to an audience and you know bs he really didn't have the chops that we would have respected and sang behind because both brewer and i could definitely sing better than terry as far as carrying a tune did you want to bring him back in later i mean there's a whole thread of of everything that happened with terry knight but was there a hesitation to bring him back as a manager there was from me, there wasn't from Don so much because he had kept in touch with Terry. To me, he says, well, Farner, at least we'd be getting out of Flint, Michigan. Because I said to him, man, Terry's a crook. He's going to be screwing us. Somehow he's going to get over on us. And he said to me, that's when he said, well, at least we'd get out of Flint, Michigan. So he was willing to take it screwing <laughs> just to get out of Flint, Michigan. I wasn't so ready for the screwing. But I wanted to get out. I wanted to see the world, man. I mean, you know, what young musician in a band does. Yeah, I think it's like a struggle with any kind of even business or anything. It's like at some point you have to make a choice. If you want to get bigger, do you make a deal with the devil to move yourself into a you know a wider frame of reference where you can bring more in, make more money, get more exposure? Exactly. It's tough, especially when you're young and very trusting. Okay, so we were with Don. How did Mel join? Well, we went to Delta Promotions in Bay City, Michigan to give these guys a piece of our mind because they 
sent us out to the Boston area telling us that these gigs we were scheduled to do were free gigs. We had to play for free. And if we did a good enough job, then could go back and make some real money there in the Boston area. That was what they told us at Delta Promotions, who was booking the band and booked us out there in that Cape Cod area. Anyway, we went up to give them a piece of our mind and find out what happened to our money, because through the grapevine, we found out we were actually getting paid $350 a night, and we wanted some of that money. So we went up, and Delta Promotions was not only a booking agency and band management and what have you. They were they had a rehearsal facility. They had a recording studio in there. We were sitting in the waiting room, waiting in to get in to talk with Kehoe, the owner, and a band was rehearsing. I looked over at Brewer. I said, whoever that bass player is, that's a bass player right there. And he says, yeah, man, we ought to find out who that is. They took a break and Mel Shocker comes walking out and I went, oh my God, it's Melvin. And Mel Shocker and I went to school together. We rode dirt bikes together. We smoked dope together. We did everything together. We were buddies. And I told him, I says, Melvin, man, we are going to form a three-piece band. Would you think about joining us or would you be interested? He says, yeah, man, I am ready to leave this band, which was question mark in the Mysterians at the time. He said he was ready to leave the band. There was something about getting in a wreck with a van and some stuff. I don't know what happened, but he was ready to leave. And so we started Grand Funk the next week in Flint, Michigan at the Flint Federation of Musicians on Averill Street there. That's amazing. So so you formed the Power Trio. I know Grand Funk Railroad is, is a play on words from the Flint area. Which of you guys said, oh, that's it. Let's Let's twist that. Let's make that our name. How did you come about that? That was the name of a song that Terry Knight wrote. And he of course, did the little twist on the name. And one day he says, you know, you guys ought to just call your band the name of my song, Grand Funk Railroad. And we went, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. <laughs> there you go. That's easy enough. Yeah. Just read an article. It wasn't too long ago. There was uh, some famous graffiti where over the Grand Truck Western Railroad, they wrote Grand Funk or they they changed it to funk and then they put your mark down and mel above that and that remained for decades upon decades i guess somebody just graffitied it like a year ago or something it made the news yeah pretty that's a good statement right there that's it's pretty adamant over the years because they have painted it back grant trunk and western on that trestle but the fans refuse to have it <laughs> and it only lasts for one day because that night it's getting changed because they love you. They love you. God bless them. Your big opening then is Grand Funk Railroad. It was at the Atlanta Pop Festival, which is a hell of a way to kick off. Yes. When you're playing in front of that many people, and they're not all from Atlanta, Georgia. I mean, that pop festival was had people from every state in the union, had Canadians there, people from Cuba there. There was people from all over the place at that pop festival to stand up on the stage and look out. There was just no end to the crowd. It was a sea of people. They had like 180,000 people plus at that concert. And you guys yes. went first. You guys kicked it off. Yeah, that was part of the deal. The attorneys who Terry Knight hooked us up with were his attorneys in New York City who were doing the legal work for this festival. So they cut him a deal on their rate, what have you, just so 
their band, Grand Funk Railroad, could go on first and open the festival. And we did. We went on opening day. We went on first. And the people didn't want us to leave the stage. They just kept calling us back, calling us back. Second night, we went on about 7 p.m., which was, you know, a better slot. Cooler in the day. Not by much (laughs) in Atlanta, Georgia, but a little bit cooler. And then the third night, we went on under the lights at 11 o'clock at night and kicked ass. That's so amazing. That's sort of like the equivalent of social media today. So back then there was no social media, but there you go. Oh, well, we'll just get in front of 180,000 people. Word spreads. You're an amazing live band. <laughs> you know, <laughs> today you need to have a good Facebook live following and YouTube following. Yeah. Cracked it back then. So that's for everyone listening. This is how you had to do it in, in the olden days. <laughs> yeah. No, no social media and no social distancing. <laughs> at all <laughs> exactly so it's standing ovation garage band from flint michigan boom and then just word of mouth right it just spread like wildfire after that for you yep. guys that's how it happened i would love to hear the story from you how led zeppelin was nervous when you were opening for them and didn't want to follow you well we had played the night before in cleveland and we had a great reaction from the crowd because the uh, Cleveland, Ohio was one of our stomping ground places to develop our music and to develop our skills as musicians. So it was like old home week in Cleveland. When we hit the stage, we had lots of fans there that loved us. Led Zeppelin didn't like that following a band that revved the audience up that much. And the following night there at Olympia in Detroit, this is our people. We're playing to hometown folks now. And they were excited and we were excited. The uh, manager, Peter Grant for Led Zeppelin, threatened Terry, picked him up by the collar of his shirt and was dangling him off the ground. You know, he's, here's this great big man. I, he's six foot five or something. And Terry Knight's down, you know, five foot eight, maybe. <laughs> he's got him up there threatening. And so he cuts the power on the band. And we're playing along and we are just about ready to go into inside looking out and the audience knows it and the power is cut. The only thing that I hear is the drums. I turn around, I look at Brewer, he stops playing. I'm thinking, what the hell is going on here? And Terry comes walking out, he grabs a microphone because no other microphones were active. I was on each one trying to get them to work. He brings one out. He's on this microphone says, due to contractual obligation, Grand Funk Railroad has to leave the stage now. And the audience was going, boo, 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 throwing whiskey bottles, beer bottles, wine bottles all come up. They were booing it. They didn't want us to leave the stage. So an hour and a half later, Led Zeppelin takes the stage to not even half of the hall which gave Mel Shocker and I opportunity to go out and watch Zeppelin from out front and not be noticed. So we did. That is an amazing way to get front row seats to Led Zeppelin. (laughs) (laughs) You could have just said, all right, everyone, we're heading down to Cobo Hall. We're going to, we'll pick up the Grand Funk concert over at Cobo Hall. (laughs) Oh man. It's crazy when you, you think like that Zeppelin just couldn't be Led Zeppelin and just go out and realize that they would have enjoyed Led Zeppelin as Led Zeppelin and could still enjoy 
Grand Funk as Grand Funk. Yeah. It seems a little short-sighted on their part. You wouldn't think they would have such frail egos. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like rising tide. You get them going. I mean, like when I do comedy, it's like if the person does good before me and you step out into a hot audience, you're just going to have an amazing time. I don't see why they... Anyway, they blew it. They blew it. <laughs> That's right. Well, good for you guys, especially since it was the hometown, you know, when you're in yeah, Detroit. What they, what'd they yeah. expect? What'd they expect? That's right. <laughs> All right. So it, around this time, you guys are putting out your third album. And this is just incredible. And I, is that you guys sold out Shea Stadium in 72 hours. Yeah. You guys were like the hottest things. And the Beatles were the only other people ever to play that. Yeah. To a sold out crowd. To a sold out crowd. But they took like a week or so. They took way longer. Oh, seven weeks they took. Seven weeks. You guys are bigger than the Beatles. How does that feel? How you're sitting around, you, Don, and Mel, and you're like, holy crap, we just crushed yeah. the Beatles. <laughs> Yeah, that was during a time, too, when there was no Ticketmaster. There was no online sales. We didn't have cell phones. There were hundreds of people who camped out at Shea Stadium on the lawn. We saw the pictures in the newspapers. It showed the Grand Funk fans pitched tents. They had sleeping bags, blankets. They had, there was just hundreds of people camped out so they could be the first ones to get tickets when the ticket office opened at Shea Stadium in the morning. And that's where each one of those were sold, right from that ticket office at Shea. Yeah, I, me- I remember having to go to Ticketmaster at Harmony House or something to get tickets for anything. <laughs> it's like you have to, <laughs> it was such a process to get tickets. Now you just yeah. get them and they say, would you like us to send it to your phone? It's like, I used to have to wake up at four in the morning, go line <laughs> 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 there's no there's no thrill to it anymore. <laughs> where's your ego at this point i mean in a good way i mean you you had to been like holy cow because this is just like a couple years after you started i mean you guys are like the hottest things yeah how do you take that all in because you're young at you right you're like in the early 20s yeah. it's like yeah 20 when the band started 21 years old 22 yeah it's young but we had seen so many people in our audiences and we had adopted so many folks as ours and we had community (laughs) radio back then was much different than what radio is today because it was owned by the people it was owned by patriotic americans there was a 777 rule in place you could own 7 a.m 7 fm and seven television stations which limited that access to the people's you know minds to advertise to us out here and that was kept in the hands of moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas it was kept in families hands people who had moral conscience over what our children saw and heard prior to 1996 when it was deregulated wow so all right so so you're like on top of the world and you realize where's the money yeah we should have more money we should have some money (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> why is terry Knight driving by in 15 cars and we're just making that yeah why is he out there buying lear jets <laughs> when when you hear terry Knight tell the story he's like they could have waited three months and then i would have been out of my contract anyway is that is that accurate that's how the media tells it I- that was just his hype he was always hyping something i couldn't be around him for three months knowing what i had just discovered that the contract that he signed with Capitol records it was a production deal. So they actually signed Goodnight Productions and Don and Mel and myself were signed as artists to Goodnight Productions. The 6% that Terry 
gave to the band to split. He told us this was more than the Beatles got. We believed him. You know, Jeff, that's the problem. Us young guys, we believe people when when they tell us things. So we think, oh, that's cool. That's great. Well, I found out in a meeting where we had been called into New York City and we were at the lawyer's offices up here in the big building corner office in New York City. And they tell us we owe $400,000 to the Infernal Revenue Service that they would gladly loan that money to us if we'd sign another three-year contract with Terry Knight. And we went, boy, there's something in the milk ain't cream here, boys. And I told them, we, we can't make a decision like that, just standing here, a snap decision. They said, okay, we'll leave the room. So when they left the room, I looked at the other two guys. I said, hey, we're screwed, man. This is crazy. How convenient to be uh, in this debt now, this debt scenario, and needing to borrow $400,000, and these guys are going to loan it to us. What? I mean, how does this work like this? We must not have very good management, and they want us to re-up. So I'm sitting at this guy's desk. I, I'm sitting in the attorney's chair. My feet are up on his desk, and when I sat up, my foot dragged down over that big desk drawer on a wooden desk that goes across the front. Anyways, it came open and I sat up and there is the contract between Goodnight Productions and Capitol Records for 16%, Jeff. Wow. Terry Knight was keeping 10, giving the band six to split and then taking a management commission of that 6% that the band split and my publishing 100%. He was getting over like a fat cat, man. Man, that sucks. That sucks. Because then the yep. court ruled in his favor. And then like, yeah, it's it had to be heartbreaking. I mean, you guys, you came back from it strong. But it's like, man, it's it's just got to be a gut punch like like none other. It is. Yeah. It's, it's horrible to hear because you guys, it was there was such magic being made. And then there's always like that evil lurking. Yeah. Always, you always got to be careful that evil. Oh, boy. You did kind of start over, right? You became a quartet. Yeah. Moved away from your power trio. Craig Frost joined the band. Yeah. We hired Craig Frost back, who was one of the keyboard players, one of the guys who was married that had to leave the band when we got stranded in Cape Cod. So uh, we got him back. All right. So reunion. There you go. And then you guys started cranking out some hits. And this is this is where after this that... You know, you're feeling down, but then this is in the wake of all this came American Band. Oh, yeah. And Lynn Goldsmith, she said, why don't you guys write a song about what you are? You're an American band. And so Brewer comes with the lyrics. And then I told him, I said, hey, it's this thing. This song needs a cowbell. He says, I don't have a cowbell. I said, well, it needs one. He says, OK, I'll stop and pick one on the way to rehearsal. I'll pick one up. And I said, no, I'll pick up six of them and we'll pick out the one that fits the tune the best the one that sounds the best with the, the track. So he did, and we picked one out. And then I heard that drum lick that's on the beginning. That's my drum lick. I taught it to him. And I said, it's got to go like this with that bass drum double kicking like that. And he goes, man, I, I can't do that. I said, yes, you can do it. You know who the hell you are. <laughs> You're Don Brewer, dude. You can do this. Uh, he ends up uh, being able to do it, of course. And then I wrote uh, all those chord changes. He came in with a two-note chords don did kind of gave us an outline of what he heard but then i i could hear a lot of other things and i said well what about doing this what about that you know and then my 
influence of the harmony and everything that I contributed to that song. Right after we got done recording it at Criteria in Miami, Don Brewer came to me and he says, Mark, I've never had 100% right credit on any song. Do you mind if I take it on this one? I said, no, go ahead, Don. You know why? Because I'm a nice guy. And he came on like, oh, this poor guy. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll give him that. I mean, why not? But that's been used against me, even though it has it's not going to change me into being something other than a nice guy. It just provokes me to be nicer even longer, as long as I live. <laughs> I'm just going to remain nice in the face of all this bull crap. The advice my dad always gave me is nothing pisses off someone more than just being nice to them. Always take the high road. Yeah. Just always do the right thing. I, I do have a question, though, based on the, on the writing credits, because... Why didn't, you, uh-huh. why didn't people, when they're working together, like you guys, because it's a power trio, right? You all bring, like the story you just told about American Band, but I'm sure like you all had like, maybe, you know, you're all coming together. It's like, it's that power trio. It's that magic of the three of you, of all those songs. Why don't bands, artists just put everyone's name down? Is there something that goes a little deeper than that? I I don't know. That's why I'm asking. I've always wondered that. Well, whoever comes up with the song is the, the creator of it. Whoever comes up with the, the lyrics, the melody, and it's not the band creating it, especially when the guy, the writer, is telling the musicians what notes to play. When I write, I hear the bass. I hear what it, it should be doing underneath. That's part of me being the creator. Like Mel, he, could, he said he could never come up with lyrics because he said he just has a hard enough time playing the chords. You know, I said, well, I... I just let the chords lead me into some lyrics. I guess I'm I'm blessed enough to be able to put some rhyming together also, which isn't a bad idea when you're singing song. <laughs> okay, I, I think I get it. That's that's good. So with American Band, you you probably could have gotten a co-credit if you had pushed on. Yeah, if I'd have said no, I don't want us. I don't want to give up my portion. Yeah, I could have. But later, just to to fill you in. The uh, 45 American band came out on yellow vinyl and there was a hundred thousand of these yellow vinyl singles printed and a hundred thousand of the yellow vinyl LP, 33 and a third RPM LPs. The single had one of my songs on the back on the flip side creeping. And so Don went to the manager, our Andy Cavalieri and, and Andy came to me and he says, I hate to, even say this to you, Mark, but Don wants 50% of your royalties for creeping because it's on the backside of we're an American band and, and it's his song that's selling it. I said, are you shitting me? <laughs> you can't be serious. And he said, yeah, he's serious. So it just, I don't know. It's just kind of picky you and kind of a letdown that somebody would, first of all, you're nice enough to say, yeah, go ahead and take it. And, and then they say, yeah, since it's mine, give me half of your money. <laughs> it's like, wow. Greed. Wow. Yeah. It's a strange animal. Yeah. That's a lot to take in. In terms of Grand Funk, and I guess we could tie it in with that. So it's, they say, when I say they, the website, if you go to grandfunkrailroad.com, that you quit, right? Uh-huh. But I know that's not your story, right? Right. There was uh, some kind of legal shenanigans, as I understand yeah. it. You can fill me in. But as much as something where you, you signed into a corporation and 
and uh, Don and Mel kind of screwed you. Yeah. What What were they thinking? Like, what? I don't. Where? Why would they do that? What brings people to like you know turn on their brothers like that? It's like it's yeah. It's so hard to fathom. Is yeah. I've asked that question eleven dozen times <laughs> because I don't know what it is. That's for sure. I do know that money makes people funny. It sure does. And some crazy shit has gone down <laughs> here in the land we all were born in. And this is just part of it. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I can't hold anything against those guys, except for the fact that, hey, they're not telling the truth when they go out. But these bands that have, you know, maybe one original member and they call it the name of the band, that's crazy. That's false advertising but they get away with it. I don't think the fans are given a, a fair shake on that. I think there should be some kind of system to give a star rating. Say there was five original members in the band in its inception when they released records in the early 70s. And now they're advertising tonight to play down at this amphitheater. And they got the star rating would be there's five original members. You got a five in the left side of the star. On the right side of the star, there's a two. So that gives you a heads up. Well, there's two members left out of those five. And then you do your little detective work. You find out which ones it is and make up your mind if you want to go see them. When people just flagrantly use the name of the band and they don't tell the audience that the guy who wrote and sang over 90% of the music is no longer with the band. That is just a little underhanded, I would say, because people expect to see Mick Jagger when the Rolling Stones show up. Yeah, can you imagine? You go to see the Rolling Stones, and it's not with Mick Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're the voice. You know, you're the, the, when you think of, the, of Grand Funk Railroad, you're the voice. And it was like, I got to say, as, as I was getting ready for this, I caught an ad because they're doing a big reunion tour and i'm like oh my god and then i'm like because they said in the ad same lineup since 2002 don't quote me on the year but it was something like that and so i'm uh, like oh my god and so i got excited i'm like oh man you know so you know not being an idiot i went and looked and i'm like oh wait it, it does not say mark Arnold's name on it. Like, <laughs> you know though maybe right because you know i didn't know the exact years you know when you think like the big reunion was in like 98, right? I mean, that was a while ago, but you know, so. It started in 96, that reunion tour, it ended in 98. It's too, it's too bad. Cause it's, it, when I, when I heard that story of the 96 reunion tour, you guys just clicked and then you went out, you, you catch the magic again. You just said, think, I mean, you guys could, you think they'd want, why wouldn't they want Mark Ferner? You know what I mean? It just seems like a no brainer. Yeah. Marketing wise, you could, you could probably all make, it's like when the Eagles toured later and made more money you know, touring yes. later than they ever did when they were originally the Eagles. It's like, yep. it just seems uh, so short-sighted. They're robbing sure us. Did. But, but we can hear Mark Farner. Mark Farner's American Band. That's right. We got this new awesome uh, DVD. From Chile with Love. From Chile with Love. Yeah, there's 16 recorded uh, live tracks, and then there's bonus video tracks one of which is available right now at markfarner.com for a free download. You can download Rock and Roll Soul so you get a sample of what's on the DVD. Also, Never and Always, it's another uh, bonus video on the DVD. And then there's five bonus songs 
that have never been released like this before. So uh, for $14.99, such a deal. And my wife, Lisa, and I give $3 from each DVD sale to Veterans Support Foundation. And Veterans Support Foundation is made up of veterans and they help veterans. There's, they don't have a salary that nobody's on the payroll. They're all volunteers, but these, these are a bunch of great people working together to help our veterans who return from war and they get them through transitional housing. They scrape them up off the streets, get them jobs, get them job training. Great people. They advocate for our veterans in front of the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs to uh, make sure that they get what they have coming to them by law. And I love these guys because there's no red tape. There's no government in between trying to do something. This is all veterans for veterans. And I thank everybody in advance who would bless us by buying one of the DVDs. Thank you for helping us support our brothers and sisters who risk their safety to ensure ours. God bless you, Mark. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's that's a good amount, $3 per sale. They're worth it. Absolutely worth it. Absolutely. So what inspired From Chile with Love? The book tour was booked, playing down in Peru and Brazil and Chile. And one of the promoters uh, in Santiago, Carlos Pastin, calls my manager, Abby, and he says, uh, you know, he's got a friend who owns Abismo Films that would like to shoot the concert, do an eight-camera shoot. And he said the magic words. He said he'd make you a good deal. <laughs> so I'm I'm into good deals. And this guy, the other Carlos, Carlos Totals, he is a fan and he loves uh he loves the music, he loves my music. He came up with the video concept for Never and Always, which is the second bonus video that's on the DVD. And he didn't even, I mean, you know, he just said, I love this song and let me put together a video for you. I said, well, yeah, I didn't know that you had even heard the song yet, but if you've got ideas, let me see what you're thinking. And he comes up with this video. And it's a very touching video, very appropriate. And for our times that we are going through and have been going through here, it's a touching video and the, the song sells it. So I'm, I'm proud of that. It's great. I watched it. Both uh, the videos that are released for it. How long has the DVD been available? As of April 6th, it was released. It's been well-received, and all those pre-orders were signed. I signed over 2,000 of those DVD uh, sleeves. Dude, I could tell you exactly about writer's cramp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful. <laughs> Is it just available as a DVD, or would, would it ever be like just streamed as an album? or? So far, it's just the DVD, but people have been inquiring into whether or not it will eventually be Blu-ray or, you know, another format. So I'm bringing this up to Ingram, which is our company that distributes the Boinkmore records. Never know. Is it, where's the best place to get it? Markfarner.com. Markfarner.com. Yeah, that's, that's the best place to get it. Excellent. So what's what's next for Mark Farner? Touring? When yeah. are you going to be in Michigan again? I don't know when we're going to be back in Michigan. You know, we, we they're trickling in, one here, one there. But we've played, uh, oh, half a dozen times since the first of the year. It's good. It must be great to get back out and just... It is, man. It's like uh, the boys in the band, they're, 
they're like chomping at the bit, you know. We get our satisfaction up on that stage, and uh, it's like that's our drug. Yeah, there's nothing like being in front of a live audience. It's amazing. Exactly. Yes, sir. What are your favorite three songs that you've written? I'm Your Captain. Second, I'd have to put in uh, the song Politician off of the Good Singing, Good Playing album that Frank Zappa produced. And uh, Foot Stomping Music. Excellent trio of songs. Mark, I, this has been so much fun. I, I can't thank you enough for hanging out with me. It's so cool. Hey, brother. Hey, my pleasure, Jeff. I like being here with you. And if uh, the future holds another interview or time for us to get together, I'll be looking forward to it. Thank you so much. That This is so much fun. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. If I don't see you in the future, I'll see you in the pasture. All right, brother. All right. How amazing was that, ladies and gentlemen? Keep your hands going for legendary rocker Mark Farner. It was so great to talk to Mark. Definitely check out his DVD from Chili with Love. Head over to markfarner.com. You can purchase it right from there. And don't forget, $3 from every DVD goes towards Veterans Support Foundation. That's amazing that he gives back like he does. So let's go support Mark for all the amazing music he's given us throughout the years. Well, can you believe it? Here we are, almost at the end of yet another episode. How is it that episode 60 is almost complete? I know! We've had so much fun together. But is the end near, as you know what that means? That's right. It's time for another hashtag from the family of hashtags from Hashtag Roundup on Twitter. Follow Hashtag Roundup on Twitter at Hashtag Roundup or download the Hashtag Roundup app free at the Apple Store, Google Play Store, and tweet along with us all day, every day, and one day one of your tweets may show up on an episode of Live from Detroit, The Jeff DeWaskin Show. This week's hashtag, hashtag unlikely roadie complaints. That's right, we got into the rock and roll mood. We're going to pretend what it's like to be a famous rock star with roadies and what their unlikely complaints might be. This, of course, comes to us from the Unlikely Game, a weekly game on Hashtag Roundup that just happens to be hosted by yours truly. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's dive into Hashtag Unlikely Roadie Complaints. Everyone around here seems to know how to tune a guitar, but no one seems to know how to tune a fish. Hey! The jam sessions don't actually include any jam. What? These are some unlikely roadie complaints. When is the band going to start playing some new songs? It seems they play the same ones over and over again. I know, it can get repetitive. There's been a high case of blisters on our little fingers and blisters on our thumb. Why isn't anyone yelling Freebird? Has anyone else noticed the mini bar just doesn't seem mini enough? Is it me or are the amps that go to 11 so much heavier than the ones that go to 10? Why can't we just make the ones that go to 10 lighter? So many unlikely roadie complaints. Here's a legit one. I don't think those were brown M&Ms. Has anyone else noticed that every drummer seems to have an untimely death? These are some legit unlikely roadie complaints. Do you have a complaint you want to share with us? Just go on to Twitter and tweet hashtag unlikely roadie complaints. And tag us at Jeff DeWaskin Show, and you just might get a retweet or a like, maybe a comment. I don't know. I can't legally promise what I'll do before seeing it. But go ahead and do that. Have some fun. We'd love to hear what unlikely roadie complaints you might have. Well, here we are. Can you believe it? We're at the end of another episode. Episode 60 has come and gone. Thank you so much for 
coming along on the journey with us. I want to thank once again our guest, Mark Farner, the amazing Mark Farner. And I also want to thank the amazing all of you for coming back week after week. I can't thank you enough. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.